Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, hello and good morning to you. Thursday edition of The Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live. Across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator and around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the interwebs. Hi. How are you? Oh, man. This week is going by fast, isn't it? It's a little bit crazy. Crazy. Crazy what's happening out there uh, in the world. Uh, welcome to the program today. We have got a jam-packed show for you this morning, including um, a bunch of candidate interviews, some stories, some news, and, uh, well, so much more. So much more. Welcome to the program. You guys ready to do this thing? Let's... Uh, <clears throat> Let's delve down into what's going on. All right, so here in just a few moments, uh, about uh, 10, 12 minutes or so, we're going to be picking it up with our first guest of the day. Today is kind of a peninsula-centric uh, peninsula centric day. That's not doesn't give you guys the excuse in Fairbanks not to, uh, not, not to listen uh, up in the interior because uh, there's some important stuff that's going to be discussed. In hour one, we're going to be talking with uh, Ben Vincent, who is running for state house. Uh, he is uh, running in District Five, which is the new District Five, and that is down in the Kodiak area. He is making a run against uh, the incumbent uh, Louis Stutes, uh, and we're going to get his full take on why this young man decided it was uh, it behooved him to uh, to do those things. We're going to talk with him here. In just a few minutes about that, we'll get his take in hour one. Then in hour two today, we're going to move up just slightly north of there, and we'll be talking with Heath Smith. Heath is running um, for the Senate uh, in District C, and that is the district currently held uh, and, uh, and ruled over by Gary Stevens, and that is the Lower Peninsula and the Kodiak area as well. And so it's, uh, again, kind of a peninsula-centric uh, deal today. But um, <clears throat> it's going to give us a little bit of insight into some of the people who've decided to throw their hat into the ring against the incumbency and some of the problems and people down in Juno. So this should be a very interesting discussion, and we're looking forward to cracking that open here in just a few moments. Meanwhile, we've got some headlines, and um, <laughs> we we got. To, I don't even want to do any of these headlines. I'll be honest with you. Um, I saw something last night that really made me uh, that really made me think, 
and uh, and and it, and it came and it came up with a new came up with a new um, word, uh, a new phrase that I thought was really appropriate. <clears throat> I was watching um, um, I was watching uh, a, a show um, that my wife and I have been enjoying, uh, and uh, there was a segment in there about just all the bad news that's out there. And how if you want to keep people engaged and you want to keep them, you know, you want to keep them uh, hopeless and helpless and and uh, and basically turned up about everything that, uh, you know, you want to keep them doom scrolling. It's the doom scrolling. And that's about all the bad news. I mean, it's just like the Drudge Report, right? The, all the headlines, all the bad headlines you could ever want. On Drudge Report, recession, GDP, second straight quarter drop, uh, the Fed has hiked again, Vox layoffs, uh, government's uh, fuel fuel prices up, the, the, the thing and the other deal and the uh, all the bad stuff. And it won't be it just like the whole thing. I just doom scrolling. And uh, and I thought, yeah, um, wow, that's really. Um, that's really appropriate. Doom scrolling. So I guess I've got a couple headlines just for the, uh, uh, just for the, just for that. Um, there are a couple local headlines that may, uh, um, you know, get you, but I'm also, we're also going to do the good news, the good news. I started this segment a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know what? It was um, it was a hit with me. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I enjoyed just a, a few stories of the good news. And so I will hit you with a couple headlines here from the state first, and then we'll jump right into it. We don't have a whole lot of time here this morning, so we'll uh, we'll get started here um, in just uh, in just a second. Tragedy uh, in Fairbanks uh, yesterday. As uh, apparently a young boy shot several of his um, uh, shot several of his siblings and then took his own life. Um, not a lot of details coming out, and quite honestly, I, I I just don't need even to know the details other than this tragedy is just just that a tragedy. I hope everybody comes together for whoever this family is. Apparently, they had seven children. There's seven children because this uh, boy shot himself, three of his siblings, and there were still three siblings remaining at home. Uh, apparently mom and dad were out at the time. I don't know what was going on. Um, but it's a tragedy and I feel bad for, uh, I feel bad for everybody involved. So that was the first doom scrolling headline that I hit this morning on the way out. Definitely not, uh, the way you want to start your day. Um, some high pressures are hitting up in the whole state of Alaska. Expect some warmer weather to kick back off as a ridge of high pressure continues uh, through uh, midweek and into the weekend. Um, we uh, They're going to have some rain down on the Gulf Coast this weekend, but we're going to see warmer temperatures, although there is still, uh, there's still, there's some termination dust up in the, up in the hills, which, I mean, it's July. We don't, we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, snow in the hills. There's snow in them there hills, but we don't need to talk about that right now. But uh, yeah, it uh, it should be warmer here over the next couple weeks as this high pressure system gets through. So that's a little bit of good news. 
Um, uh, then down in Whittier, a boat exploded in the launching bay, the launching dock. Uh, apparently, the um, the boat was being, and there's pictures of it. You can see it in a couple of the different news outlets. Uh, the boat was just was had been backed down into the water and was on the edge of the dock when apparently it just literally exploded. A woman was injured. She had some burns and had to be airlifted by helicopter to Anchorage for treatment. There's no word on the extent of her injuries. Basically, the city manager said uh, there's uh, nothing left of this boat. So whatever it was, it uh, it burned it right down right down to the ground, or in this case, to the water line. And uh, so, but apparently she survived and is out, and that's 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 some that's good news in that regard as well. I'm trying to trying to find the spin on all this stuff to make sure that it's good news. Uh, what was the other one that caught my attention? This was great. An Oregon man who had been setting fires in the wilderness in the remote forest areas was apprehended by three local residents. Apparently, they had been looking for this guy who had been setting fires. He'd been walking along gravel roads and BLM roads and setting fires in the forests about 25 miles northwest of Grants Pass, Oregon. The local residents had been uh, quick to try and put the fires out. They did get them put out. Um, Meanwhile, three other local residents located the suspect walking on the road near the fires and detained him. This is my favorite part of this whole story. According to um, the BLM, uh, or excuse me, Curry County Sheriff John Ward, he said it was reported that the suspect became very combative with the three residents and they had to tie him to a tree to subdue him. An ambulance crew was asked to respond due to some injuries that the suspect apparently received from falling down. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how he got those injuries, was from falling down. He fell down. And the sheriff's like, yeah, he fell down. Um, it, it really is not a laughing matter. This guy, uh, Trennan Smith, uh, is being held on charges of arson and reckless burning. The area where the fires occurred is only accessible by the Rogue River or the Forest Service and BLM roads. There were a lot of lodges are nearby in the remote region. He said, uh, according to Ward, if the fires had not been contained and if they had got out of control, they would have blocked all the residents and visitors having an escape route. So if the fires had continued, it would have trapped all these people in the forest fire and not being able to escape. So anyway, that's a, but you know, good news. He don't worry. He fell down. That's exactly what it was. He fell fell down. Multiple injuries from falling down. Two stories for the good news. Uh, taking a leap, leap of faith, a young uh, Haitian man uh, had uh, decided to change his life. Uh, back in 2017, a 22-year-old man named Amisel, uh, Jimmy Amisel, who was from Haiti, uh, came home to visit his mom during a break from studying at Texas State University, where he'd been studying communications and electronic media. Since he'd been a teenager growing up in Haiti, he'd helped out at the orphanage next to his home, And on this trip, he'd brought back presents for the children. He was on his way to the orphanage when he came across a large group of people huddled around a trash can. He made his way into the front and, to his disbelief, found a a four-month-old baby inside the trash can. He said people were crowding around, heard them arguing about what to do with with the baby and everything else. He scooped up the baby, took him home to his mother, where they washed, clothed, and fed him before taking him for medical help. The police launched an investigation, but they were never uh, never able to find the 
parents of the young boy, the four-month-old boy. Uh, but with nowhere else to turn, a judge asked Jimmy if he would become the legal guardian of the baby. And he's like, I was already behind in my tuition. My family was struggled to make ends meet. I didn't have a dad growing up. But something was inside me just telling that I, I just had to take a leap of faith. And so Jimmy adopted this young, this young boy at the age of 22. He's been splitting his time between the States and Haiti, uh, where the boy is being cared for by his, uh, his mother. Uh, and uh, they now, uh, uh, now the boy is now five years old and just started in school. And uh, it is a, just an amazing story of uh, courage that this young 22-year-old man decided to take the leap, as it were, and do what he needed to do. Uh, and finally, um, uh, the last one for good news today, when an Arizona woman lost all of her hair during a third brain cancer battle, her shaggy mane son stepped up, shears in hand to offer a solution. Growing out his golden luscious locks over his past, you know, all the way to shoulder length, he chopped it all off to provide a stylish hair piece for his mom. He said his mom didn't mind being sick, but she did mind looking sick. For 15 years, you'd never known that uh, she had begun a cancer tumor in her pituitary gland. Two successful surgeries in 2003 and 2006 couldn't get rid of the tumor permanently. And in 2017, she was prescribed radiation therapy. Um, and so he soon came up with his plan in 2018. He just kept growing his hair out and out and out and out. And he chopped off one foot of his hair that he sent off to a company called Compassionate Creations in Newport Beach, California. Uh, it's a hairpiece company that made a new head of hair for his mom out of his own hair. Um, and it is just... It's a lovely story. I mean, it really is. They got a picture of him and his mom standing next to her with her wearing his hair. I mean, it's, uh, it's, man, that's some, that's the good news, man. That's the good news. That's what I wanted right there. The good news. <sighs> All right. I guess we'll get back down into the politics, huh? Let's do that. We got, we had some good news. We bolstered our, girded our loins a little bit. Let's uh, get back into the good news here uh, later on. Uh, meanwhile, Ben Vincent coming up, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. We'll be back with more right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Radio. That gave me a little tear in my eye. That was a that was an amazing story. An amazing story of the good news. I like that a lot. That was uh, that was a good one. That was a good one. All right, uh, you guys ready to go? We're all geared up here. Uh, I believe that I now have uh, Mr. Vincent on the line with us right now. Let's double check. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Michael. How's it going? You know what? I just, I'm just was doing the good news, man. I got a little tear in my eye from all the good stuff that came out of that. Uh, I'm ready, but now I'm ready to, to knuckle down and do my thing here. Um, are you, all right. uh, you all ready to talk about uh, wood ticks, lunatics, and politics? 
I am ready to go. It's all I've been thinking about the past six months. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's a sickness, isn't it? It's just it's horrible. Now, it really is. It gets to you. <laughs> uh, Benjamin or Ben or both or either, what which do you prefer? I like Ben. You like Ben. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm a Michael, so I know that, you know, Mike, Michael, Mikey, whatever. I just, I always want to give people the opportunity to let us know what's going on in their mind. All right, Ben. So hold on. You're on the, you're on the line right now. We're in the commercial break. It's just you, me, and I don't know, 60 of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube hanging out, getting ready to go. So if you will hang out in my virtual green room, drinking my virtual coffee and eating my virtual donuts, uh, we will be back to you here in just a moment, okay? All right. All right, Ben Vincent, uh, Ben Vincent, our guest here for the uh, for the show. Um, uh, I'm going back up here, scrolling up to see what you guys had to say. I heard there was termination dust. Yep, a little bit cooler this morning. Um, although last night, boy, I was trying to sleep last night and it was so miserably hot. Uh, it actually feels good this morning. That little bit of coolness. Um, trooper gives a ride to an 84 year old lady with a walker as she was going to her hair appointment. She picked her up as she was walking on the interstate. My Lord, that's dedication. That's dedication. Um, Catching a nut. Good for Oregonians. Rural Oregonians are much like Alaskans. I lived in Oregon for, for 13 years. Yeah. Dan Fagan executed himself from Facebook or excused himself. I don't know. What does that mean? He executed himself from Facebook. That was a comment from 12th Man in Ute. I don't think you meant the word executed because that just sounds bad. Um, uh, all right. Dumb parents shouldn't leave their guns laying around. We don't really know what the story is there, 12th man. That's the worst part about it. I mean, we know it happened. We don't know what the full story is. There was no word on if the gun was properly stored or if there was, you know, who knows. It's a tragedy. I debated as to even whether to talk about it, but it is like some of the biggest news in the state, so I put it out there, you know. Um, Let's see, six F-22s get to babysit Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I saw that they moved a handful of F-22s from uh, J-Bear to uh, Poland yesterday. Um, China threatened us that if Nancy Pelosi goes to Taiwan, there's something very drastic and severe will happen. I say those except... Okay. Um, Sorry, Michael, I thought you were MD. Well, MD is fine. I mean, I'm just... I wasn't, look, you can call me any, you just don't call me late for supper. You can call me anything you want. Just don't call me late for supper. I haven't missed too many of them, as you could tell. But uh, I, you know, I just try and be conscientious. You know, do you want to be called Kenneth or do you want to be called Kenny? Ken. I mean, you know, I just, I just, I think that's polite. Can you invite the governor to your show for open line, please? <laughs> Oh, sorry, Cindy. I didn't mean to laugh at you, but that's that. Trust me. That I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. He won't answer. He won't even answer questions uh, in written form for the. Th- you think he really wants to come on here and take questions from the listeners? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Um. All right. Uh, we are 30 seconds out right now, getting ready to rejoin. Be sure to like and share this video. Uh, If you can do that on any of the platforms, you can like the video and you can share it with your friends. 
You can also like and follow the show page. And, of course, uh, subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube and do all the youtube things. You ready to go? Let's, um, let's get things ready to rock and roll. Ben Vincent, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, welcome back to the program. Thanks for continuing and uh, coming back to us today. Deep dive into Southern Peninsula and Kodiak politics as we uh, get a chance to talk to both of the candidates for House and Senate from those areas this morning. Uh, We are joined right now by Ben Vincent, Benjamin Vincent, GOP candidate for House District 5. You can find him over on the internet at Vincent for alaska.com uh that's vincent the number four alaska.com and he joins us this morning to uh to give us uh, to give us the his word on everything that's happening and, and get a little bit of a backstory here good morning my friend how are you doing this morning i'm doing excellent how about yourself you know every day above ground's a good day it's all i can say right now it's all it's that all good. very true um, you, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you guys. I, it's been, I used to live in Kodiak. Uh, I worked at, uh, I commercial fished out of Kodiak when I was younger and worked at the radio stations there as well. Um, um, ironically enough. Um, but, uh, it's good to, it's good to hear from somebody down there in the Emerald Isle. I want to get a little bit of background, uh, and, uh, figure out, uh, you know, who you are, where you are, where you came from. And uh, get some backstory. I know that you moved uh, to Alaska when you were fairly young, and um, and but you seems like you got it in your blood. So give us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you are, where you came from. Gotcha. Yeah. So I moved back. Uh, well, not back to Alaska. I moved to Alaska when I was seven or eight years old after my parents finished up a thirty-year career in the Marine Corps. After that, homeschooled with my family, grew up in the uh, Upper Anchorage and Chugiak areas. And uh, then went to college at UAA, uh, learned property management, business management, and uh, moved back down to Kodiak uh, pretty much immediately after that. Uh, I'd always wanted to live in a fishing community. Uh, I was since fishing in Seward when I was like 14. And uh, the opportunity presented itself, and I couldn't say no, so I dropped everything and left down to Kodiak. And now we're here. Yeah. Uh, managing some properties, uh, filling up a new Kodiak marketplace which is being developed by the local Native Association here in town, Canna. And uh, really making my, uh, leaving my mark uh, on the island here and in the district. Well, Kodiak is a special, special place. Um, I will say that I do, uh, I do have very fond memories of it. And uh, it, uh, it's good to see somebody else taking an interest in what's going on down there. Um, ben, you know, you're, you're pretty young. You're what, 24, 25 years old. And, um, I'm 24. Yep. 24. Um, which it seems, you know, kind of young, but at the same time, it's nice to have some fresh blood running in there, you, you know, uh, running uh, for the uh, state house. But, uh, you know, again, what, what was that trigger moment? I mean, what was there, was there an aha moment? Was there uh was it the straw that broke the camel's back? Was there a single thing that triggered you into this madness of running for state house? What, uh, you know, walk me through the process here. What was the genesis of all this? 
Yeah, so I'd say uh, best way to describe it is the straw that broke the camel's back. A lot of stuff just kept piling up and piling up um, around politics, uh, both nationwide and the local level. Uh, like I was finishing up college when the COVID stuff got started, uh, seeing what the assembly was doing there uh, in the Anchorage area. And um, I made that decision that I wanted to be involved in my community um, at a governmental standpoint because it is everybody's responsibility to help run the government. It's not just a select few people or a, um, a, a delegated um, small group of uh, individuals that run it. It's a everybody type of thing. Uh, the next question is, when do I get started? Where do I get started? And how do I make that happen? Right. Uh, so I say I'm getting started at a pretty ambitious uh, position here, uh, state legislature. Right. Um, I was thinking it was going to be probably something like assembly or uh, something simple like that. But uh, I prayed about it. I talked with some friends about it. Um, when it was, I think it was back in February, somebody random, I had no idea who they were, had no connection to them whatsoever. They messaged me asking if I was running for state house. And that was a pretty, a pretty clear indication of when and where to get started. Well, and, and I think it is, you know, it, it's, uh, I think some people will be uh, offended, like, well, you haven't paid your dues, you haven't worked your way up from the local level. But yet we've seen people who have done just that. You know, David Nelson is young. Scott Kawasaki started out really young uh, in the assembly. It can be done and uh, you can be effective. And so I think that it's, uh, you should be commended for wanting to give back to the community and do this. And uh, I'm excited to, to hear uh, the, the whole story here. Um, I saw on your website, uh, which folks, if you want to go out and find out more about Ben, Vincent, the number four, Alaska.com, Vincent for Alaska, you talk about uh, depoliticizing Alaska. Uh, you know, that yeah. you want to depolitic. So walk me through that. When you say depoliticize, what, what is the. What, what offends you? What is the offensive part of what do you want to see changed? Well, it's like for the last six years, uh, give or take uh, more or less, we've been talking in the legislature about the same key issues. We talk about the ferry system and argue about how much money that's going to get, what schedules it's going to have. Uh, we talk about the PFD and debate back and forth of how much it's going to be when that shouldn't even be on the table in the first place. Um, and so many other things like education, how much money's going back and forth. And it's all a, it gives candidates a reason to run. It gives them a thing to run on. And it's the same problem over and over again that isn't being taken care of or fixed properly. It's just a continuous, uh, ongoing issue that, uh, candidates can use, uh, for their benefit at election season. Right. And I want to take those programs and depoliticize them as much as possible. It's like for the ferry system, uh, up here in Kodiak, we have uh, Alaska Aerospace, which is the rocket launch complex on the island, and that is a state-owned corporation. We could take the ferry, turn it into a similar uh, type of format to a state-owned corporation, or in this case, a nonprofit um, that the state funds, and it runs as a business, a uh, nonprofit business, then I think we would be able to one, provide more uh, quality and um, timely ferry services uh, that are more consistent. And two, it takes it out of the legislature's uh, debating pile um, because there's a lot of focus that goes into that topic um, and that distracts uh, our legislatures from talking about things that uh, can matter to us, such as education policy as opposed to just funding 
because let's be real, we spend a huge amount on education, over $17,500 per pupil, and our education is in the toilet. We are number 50 out of 51, only above New Mexico. And so it's not a money issue from what I've been able to find. It is a cultural issue about the type of education that we give our children, the curriculums that we use, um, and also just holding uh, our kids accountable in the education system. Uh, there's a lot of classes out there. You keep answering the same uh, the same question with different answers. It'll keep telling you you're wrong and then only let you move forward once you get it right. That's not learning. That's getting lucky in the mem- and uh, uh, memorizing for a test. Right, right. Um, the, uh, you know, that actually brings us over to a couple things. The budget, uh, you mentioned the PFD, uh, I'm assuming then you're for a, a statutory PFD for either following the law or changing the law. What, what, what's your, what's your position? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the PFD it's, so what's happening right now, um, is playing with the PFD as it's been happening. The PFD is the people's money first. Uh, it's a permanent fund dividend is dedicated to the people and taking from the PFD um, is effectively implanting a tax on the people without asking for their consent. And it's treated like uh, our legislature is able to use that pile of money for their needs, but not the needs or not the uh, personal financial needs of, of the people. Um, it's like, 30% of the island, if not 30% of the district, is on housing vouchers. That tells you a lot already of the financial situations of our district and how much could another $1,000 per person in the household or another $2,000 uh, really impact somebody's life like that instead of uh, the government using it for their own services, which we didn't need to do until six years ago when they started playing with it. Right. Well, I, and I found it interesting on your website, your, your, the verbiage that you put on your website is the permanent fund dividend is the sharing of profits from the land that all Alaskans own, which I think is a, I mean, that's a simple sentence, but it, it, it has a real grasp on what, uh, what the permanent fund dividend is all about. And it seems like many of your uh, uh, potential colleagues feel like this is just free government money that we're giving out, not that it is Alaskans' fair yeah. share of the oil wealth. Yeah, it, uh, it is not free. It is our compensation. Without the PFD, it's like if you want to get rid of the PFD, then give us our compensation back. Uh, give us our land rights. Give us our mineral rights. But they don't want to do both. They just want to uh, use the PFD for themselves and uh, push the mineral rights issue to the side. Well, and the fact that they're taking the PFD, as you said, is a de facto tax, and it disproportionately affects those in the lowest income brackets more than anybody else. I mean, the you know somebody who's making a couple hundred thousand bucks a year is probably not going to miss a thousand dollars, but somebody who's making twenty thousand bucks a year definitely going to feel that. Yeah, and uh, I do work in uh, low income, so I'm working with the individuals of all income levels, um, and a thousand dollars can go a long way. It can take you for a couple of months. Uh, it, it's a huge um, number to some people. You mentioned education. Education, obviously, one of the biggest um, components of our budget. Um, we have thrown ever-increasing amounts of money at education, yet we still rank in the bottom. I mean, the bottom of scholastic achievement here. Um, and many people say that, uh, that, you know, that education is actually being overfunded, that we're not being efficient with the money. Have you taken a look at the budget? Have you seen ways that you can find efficiencies to save money in there? I mean, should we be opening up the the funding formulas? Should we be looking at overhead? Should we be looking at consolidation of school districts? What, what, uh, what in your mind is some ways uh, that we should be looking at the budgets for education? 
Uh, so I think one of the first things to address would be uh, the overhead aspect, uh, janitorial uh, cleaning, uh, simple services like that that can be outsourced to a third party. Uh, that, that way it benefits the community that it's in. And then it also benefits the school system as potentially being a, a more cost-effective option. Um, I think as far as the budget goes, it's, it's uh, uh, the number per pupil and our spending is going to be a bit inflated because we do have the uh, native schools and those are going to cost a bit more just naturally. Um, so something that I would like to see us address first is the curriculum. It's like Massachusetts is number one, uh, is the number one school, uh, schools in the nation. Uh, so they obviously have a working system. Uh, why can't we, we just replicate that? It's right. like if there's a uh, working boat versus a sinking boat, which one are you going to hop on? Right, right. Well, and I think if you look at it again and you look at the amount of administrative, uh, you know, the growth of the student base versus the growth of the administrative overhead, you'll see that there's a disproportionate amount of growth in the in the overhead. Uh, you know, we have a we have a, a a larger amount of students, but proportionally, the amount of overhead and administrative and, and all those costs have skyrocketed compared to the in classroom costs. Do we need to re do we need to you know look at that and reprioritize where those monies are going and and you know should we have three times the overhead that we used to have when we only have one point five times the students? I think we definitely should, uh, especially if it is uh, on a continuous uptick, and uh, whereas our students are not on a continuous uptick at this time. Um, uh, because a lot of these services uh, they do need to be ran like a business. Um, if you can't um, uh, supplement or uh, have the funds to uh, properly run uh, the, air, uh, the schools or uh, those each individual factors, uh, then you need to take a hard look at what's going on uh, instead of just adding to the budget. It's like that's a lot of what people uh, talk about is I, um, some people that I've ran into, they would rather see their PFD gone as opposed to have a falling education. But I really don't think it is like adding to the budget is going to fix it or help it. That's uh, helping some other individuals, but it's not helping the students as we've clearly seen. And the students need to be first on the list, not the overhead, not the um, uh, individual line items uh, that can benefit uh, people other than the students. Uh, we definitely need to get more for our money, more bang for the buck, so to speak, out of our education mm -hmm. system. And it it needs to be, uh, I mean, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be addressed. Obviously, more money is not fixing the problem. Exactly. All right. Uh, we're coming up on the break. We're talking with Ben Vincent, GOP candidate for House District 5. We're going to continue our discussions with him here in just a moment. Uh, but we are up against the break, so we will take it and we will come back here in just a second. Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about the Charter of Changes, some of his other hot-button issues as he goes forward, what his uh, constituents are saying now as he goes about and uh, talks to the public. We'll continue in a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Benjamin Vincent, our guest, will return right after this. Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. 
Okay, we're in the break right now. Benjamin Vincent is our guest. Uh, we'll answer a few questions from the chat room. Um, Cindy said she was curious about the comment about why native schools are naturally going to cost more. I mean, I have an answer to that, but Ben, I mean, you said that naturally they're going to cost more. What was your What's your take on that? Yeah, so um, our public school system, it does have a required footprint uh, that you need to build a school on, regardless of size. So um, the minimum size for a public school is 10 students. So you get 10 students together, state requ- is required to fund the school and fund the students. So they need to build a footprint that is disproportionate to the number of individuals out there. Um, and then on top of that, you have the administrative costs. And uh, out in the villages, uh, south, uh, the cost of living is much higher. Um, and therefore, you need to compensate at a higher rate. And that's just a... Right. Uh, something that we as Alaskans need to um, appreciate. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and and uh, the, uh, the you know the this is a the the whole school systems basically are based on a uh, you know enterprise level. If you've got a thousand students, you can obviously do more with the same facilities for a thousand students, and the, and the cost per student goes down compared to only having ten students and requiring the same infrastructure. It's historically always been that way that the smaller communities are a much higher per student expenditure and in fact in the villages you're seeing <clears throat> you're seeing some of these places where the cost per student is in the 40 to 50,000 dollar range to run the schools versus a 10,000 dollar range in the uh, in the more urban communities um, but uh, yeah so naturally it is going to cost more than that now those schools should have more access to federal and tribal dollars Cindy that is correct but the state also has is required by the Constitution and by previous <clears throat> judicial decisions to provide all that stuff uh, so that is one of the uh, uh, one of the big things uh, that's you know that's going on out there um, <clears throat> let's see what else is going on here um stutes needs to be replaced well i think that's what ben is trying to do um he is uh, he's trying to to move forward and bring some new blood to there um hunky lee says i like the pfd too don't you think it's redistribution of wealth a communistic comment ben what are your thoughts on the pfd as a redistribution of wealth it is um anything well it's there's an argument for that uh, i'm sure um, but the PFD is our compensation for mineral rights. If we didn't have mineral rights, then it could be considered a redistribution. Um, well, no. If we had our mineral rights, it could be considered a, dis- a redistribution of tax dollars that come in from the oil. Right. Uh, but we gave up our mineral rights so that the oil could benefit from the natural resources that we have, which is abundant in this state. Uh, right. So it's our compensation. It's, it's not a redistribution. Yeah, I mean, Jay Hammond said that the PFD was actually the ultimate expression of capitalism because we have given up one right, which, of course, is the mineral rights for the state, and we are receiving just compensation for that. It's not free money. Uh, it is actually earned money. Now, whether we earned the money simply by being residents and being uh, co- you know, c- corporate owners of the uh, – of the mineral wealth or however you want to put it. Maybe somebody says, well, you're not really working for it. Well, we've given up all of our mineral rights, and this is the just compensation for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I cannot imagine state subsidies. Um, 
I cannot imagine the state subsidies of $150,000 just to educate three kids in a family of five that lives in the middle of nowhere. Well, you may not be able to imagine it, Chris, but it happens. That's what happens when you build a five or six million dollar school for 10 children and then have to maintain it and keep it running and put the, and put the teachers out there and, and, and house them and do all that kind of stuff. The costs escalate pretty quick uh, in the long run. And as a t- on top of that, if you have to have a school district structure and everything else, it, it becomes a very, very expensive proposition. Uh, let me see what else is in here. Uh, any other questions for Ben? Um, so, uh, I don't see any other questions, Ben, uh, quickly then, um, what has the, uh, what's the reaction been from the, are you getting a lot of support from the, uh, Republican district? What, what, uh, what kind of love are you feeling down there? Yeah. So I'm uh, walking the streets, talking to people, uh, door knocking. I've been, uh, getting, if not, uh, just neutral, but a positive reaction to me running. Uh, for just the sake that I am a younger individual getting new people into the state legislature with new ideas. Um, as far as the uh, local districts, uh, my district rep is um, uh, Dustin Fields. He's out fishing right now, so I haven't had a chance to talk with him uh, specifically about uh, my candidacy or like that, but I have spoken with um, our regional representative, uh, and they are in full support um, uh, from the region level. Good. All right. Well, good. Well, we'll keep uh, we'll keep going here in just a second. We're going to be continuing here. Benjamin Vincent, our guest, GOP candidate for House District Five. I see a question on backpack funding, which I think we're going to have to take a crack at here. <clears throat> Excuse me. In just a second, don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's do it. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Ben Vincent is our guest, GOP candidate for House District 5, which covers uh, Kodiak, Cordova, and uh, some of the lower parts of the peninsula here. He joins us this morning to discuss his candidacy. We were just talking about education, and before we get off the education topic, uh, somebody in the chat room dropped this question, and I should have asked it. Thank you, um, uh, Timothy, for throwing it out there. Uh, the question is, where do you stand uh, as a candidate on backpack funding? Are you familiar with the phrase backpack funding, where the funding follows the student rather than uh, going just to the brick-and-mortar district, Ben? Um, a bit, yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, I consider that more like a student voucher program. Um, and uh, you get to have your school choice uh, or go somewhere else, private schools. I think that is a good idea. I think um, that's something that uh, we can definitely – uh, look into implementing for the state. Uh, it gives the schools a incentive to one do better, and then they receive more students and thus more funding. Uh, but if they're not doing well and they're unable to uh, keep up with the schools around them, it's 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 like a competition. Uh, if you can't um, perform on the open market, um, then you got to face the truth and uh, and know that uh, maybe there's something else uh, that you need to do. Um, but uh, I do think that's a um, a good thing to try out uh, for the state. I haven't seen it done anywhere else um, that I know of anyway. 
Um, and I think it's a great new idea uh, to promote our school systems to step up to the plate and give us a quality education. There are several states now that are playing around with it, and I would encourage you, if you do get elected, that you take a look at the states and how they're doing it and see if it's something we can incorporate here. I think it would be fantastic uh, to be able to give the parents freedom to be able to make some of those choices. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other issues you mentioned um, the marine highway system, that has been quite the political football. Obviously, <clears throat> people who are down in the communities who are served by it are very passionate about it. And meanwhile, the rest of the state is asking questions about the efficacy of it, the, I, the, uh, um, the, the cost, and, uh, you know, does it make sense? What are your thoughts on the marine highway system? Is it being adequately funded? Are there efficiencies to be found? Give me your overall take on it. Yeah, um, so I think uh, the funding-wise, um, I think so far it's been okay funded. Uh, there are, like, uh, if everything was a perfect world, we'd have uh, newer boats that weren't uh, uh, rusting out uh, every couple of years that needed repairs constantly, uh, which is why I'm really happy that uh, uh, our current governor has been able to help us get that uh, brand-new boat with the uh, federal uh, uh, infrastructure funds. I think that's going to go a long way uh, for our district and our uh, parts of uh, Alaska down here. Um, as far as efficiencies, everything like that, uh, like it, uh, like I said earlier, it ties back into that uh, incorporating the Alaska Marine Highway System so that it runs and operates similar to a, to a nonprofit business, uh, but with a business sense instead of uh, more of the political sense that has kind of become it. Um, and these discussions and the legislature and allowing them to um, solve their issues the best way that they know how. They're obviously the experts, the ones who run the highway, work on the highway, uh, whereas a lot of the politicians, um, they hear what they hear from representatives and lobbyists, um, and that could be uh, the extent uh, or most of their knowledge. And I think handing it off to the individuals who run it more so uh, would be a, a great step in the right direction. You mentioned also uh, private partnerships, uh, public-private partnerships working with different uh, private vendors, similar to what they do with the National Park Service, where you have private oh, yeah. vendors on board the vessels providing a lot of the services that are currently being provided by the state at a much higher cost. Yeah. Um, so as far as things like uh, food courts, the entertainments uh, that are on the ferries, I think um, – get them out of the states or the ferries purview and sending it to a private uh, vendor who um, would be uh, subsidized if they're not making the profit just to make sure that we hold them onto the ferry system. Um, and then uh, also just provide higher quality services than what we're able to provide with our uh, uh, limited funding for the ferries. I think we go a long way in making the ferry system a preferred form of travel. Um, because right now it's like you have two options to get off the island or many parts of um, the peninsula, like Cordova. Uh, you can fly out or you can take the ferry. And you can fly right. out for four to five minutes. You could take a day on the ferry. But if it's an experience, uh, then I think people would be uh, more prone to taking the ferry uh, for the experience side of it, uh, given that uh, you have the time of availability. Now, well, part of the problem, of course, is the cost involved uh, and the fact that the state is subsidizing, uh, you know, a, a significant chunk of every one of those trips coming out of there. Um, how do you propose we find the efficiencies? I mean, when the state is paying for 30 or 40 or 50 percent of every trip through subsidies, 
how do you <clears throat> how do you find those uh, um, those efficiencies to bring that cost down? I mean, the the, the whole ferry system is <clears throat> almost as much as the rest of the entire DOT budget for the whole state, for all the roads. I mean, you could travel on a road for 15 cents a mile or something, and yet, you know, it's it's into the dollars per mile for the ferry. So how do you find those efficiencies? Yeah, so that's a, a really good question. Um, as far as the efficiencies in the travel, um, I can't say I've been able to find a way that we could make them more efficient than they already are as far as going back and forth. Uh, the fuel costs have uh, been going up. The maintenance on the ferries has been going up just due to their age um, and the amount of use that we put them through. Um, but we also need to look at it uh, like it is a uh, – uh, interstate highway system. Um, it's, it's similar to the Glen Highway, the Parks Highway. Uh, it's a required highway that uh, citizens of these coastal communities need to use uh, to get their cars back and forth, ship the goods back and forth. And without it, um, costs go up drastically to ship cars down here. It goes from like $400 on the ferry uh, to uh, at least $2,000 uh, shipping through like Samson or Span, Alaska. Right. Um, and that is something that um, um, I know a lot of uh, folks on the interior would like to see the cost go down. Uh, but as of right now, I'm not convinced that we'll be able to um, make the cost of travel go down by a significant amount uh, on the state side. It's a perennial issue, and I'm sure it's something we'll come back and revisit. One of the other things you mentioned on your website, which I haven't seen really on any other candidate's website thus far anyway, was a discussion on the Binding Caucus um, and the, you know, how you actually have a picture of a puppeteer uh, here uh, next to the words Binding Caucus. Um, <clears throat> give us your thoughts on that and what's going on. Yeah, so um, from what I've seen of the Binding Caucus, it effectively takes a large group of legislatures who are um, elected by their constituents to represent them, and then it ties them into a club that represents the club uh, for a, a large majority of votes, a large amount of the legislative duties, actions, uh, and everything uh, political that you could think of. Uh, if you're not in the caucus, you lose a lot of services to uh, that other legislatures are able to right. benefit from. Uh, it's uh, like you lose uh, legislative aides or you join the caucus, you could have more legislative aides to help you get stuff done. The only stipulation is you need to vote what we vote with. Right. And that and if they're voting on something that is uh, not beneficial to your district, then uh, you need to vote on it either way. Right. And I think that's, that's just a poor practice for the state. Uh, there's only uh, two states in the nation that allows for binding caucuses. It's us, and um, I, I believe it's Montana, but I could be totally mistaken on that one. Um, and uh, both of them uh, do have ranked choice voting, which, again, is a Thing that I think uh, we need to bring back to the people to get voted out and do this, the confusion, but ultimately back to the Biden caucus, it limits the legislature's ability to properly represent their constituents. Right, S selling, selling your vote. Commitment. Yeah, selling your vote exactly. at the very beginning. Yeah. So you were no yeah. fan of the Biden caucus and you would not join a Biden caucus then? Um, I would work at not joining a Biden caucus. Yes, that, uh, that would be uh, one of my primary concerns of all right. Uh, probably things to not do. I'm down to the last 90 seconds here or so, Ben. So I want to give you a chance to give us your elevator pitch. Why should we vote for Ben Vincent for State House? Uh, hit me with it. 
Yes. Um, so um, obviously running, uh, I want to take our uh, Alaska services and take the politics out of it. PFD, ferry system, education, it's all a uh, running token year after year. Uh, our legislatures have been using it as a negotiation tool, and I want to put an end to that. Uh, make it so that they can't negotiate the ferry system if it's put into a separate corporation. PFD is established as a statute of PFD. You can't negotiate that or use it as a um, election token. And then uh, make something actually happen with our, with our education because if it's always a problem. It's always going to be a problem to run on. And I want to actually solve the issue and then get out. I don't want to be there forever. I just want to take care of Alaska so that my family has a future and your family has a future with mine. Uh, Benjamin Vincent, Vincent4Alaska.com, the number four, Vincent4Alaska.com. Ben, thanks for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate you being part of it today. Thank you. Hold the line for just a second, Ben. Uh, Folks, we got more coming up. Heath Smith up next, the hour two of the Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you on the other side. Final question here, uh, Ben. I uh, got just a couple minutes here. Uh, so, do you think that we should enshrine, you know, protecting the PFD? Obviously, as a statute, the legislature just practically ignores statutes at their whim. So, do we need to enshrine the PFD formula in the Constitution? Do we need to put a spending cap into the Constitution? Those kind of things to get uh, to get some control back. Uh, yes, I do. Um, right now, the legislature has gone rogue and. Um, like if I'm able to get in, that is one person out of 60 uh, that need to get in to make the, uh, the difference that we need to see. Uh, trying to get into the Constitution uh, will ultimately give it back to the people, all the power to the people, which is where it needs to be in the first place. And um, I, I'm uh, I I, I kind of liked your your response on the uh, binding caucus, but you got a little squidgy there at the end. So you say you're going to work to not be in a binding caucus. Does that mean that you ultimately would join one if you had to? I mean, I. I you know, at some point, I think somebody has to take a stand. I don't know is that I would do that to my constituents to sell my vote at the beginning. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking for something a little more solid here in your answer on that one. Can you can you tighten that up for me? Give me give me your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I would not join uh, joining binding caucus. Um, I would work to end the binding caucus um, and get it out of there. Um, but I would not be joining a binding caucus that limits me on my ability to vote for my constituents. Okay. Well, that's that's good. Uh, binding caucus is actually unconstitutional and illegal in many states. Uh, and Mike Showers, a researcher the last couple of years, has shown that there's not a single state that actually utilizes it except for Alaska. But in most places, it's illegal. <laughs> and, and in some places, yeah. unconstitutional. So it makes sense. I know. Yeah, that- which we need to do that here. Yeah. We need to. I would I would love to see, yeah I would love to see it if we did get the concon going and we get a we get a we do open up the constitution I would definitely like to see that go into the constitution to where that is an illegal process because it just offends me uh, I mean from start to finish that you you step down there as a brand new legislator to represent your constituents and they say well you can represent your constituents you just got to vote the way we tell you to vote on certain things I, I just that mm-hmm. just offends me uh, at my you know at my core uh, at that point. Ben Vincent, our guest, uh, GOP candidate for House District 5. Any final thoughts, Ben, here before I let you go? Nothing comes to mind. Um, another thing that I'm trying to focus on is uh, helping out our housing situation in the district and in Alaska. Like this district, um, 
I mentioned it earlier, we have 30% of households on vouchers and uh, something needs to give. Uh, the cost of housing is way too high. You can buy a decent house for $600,000 uh, or you can uh, buy one that's falling uh, that could be falling apart for 400000 And those are your options. Right. Um, and just really to promote for the private industry, the private sector to come in, uh, build more housing, uh, build apartments, um, and redevelop what we already have, I think would make a huge difference uh, for the lives of my constituents um, and allow them to uh, uh, more easily build a future for their families. All right, Ben Vincent, vincent4alaska.com. Ben, thank you for coming on board. We appreciate you being part of it today, and uh, we look forward, for to, look forward to hearing more from you. All right. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate that. All right. Let's get uh, let's get our next caller on the line here as we get ready for the next segment with uh, Heath Smith. Uh, let's uh, get him get him on the line, and we'll get things we'll get things all ready to go here, and we'll do that. Good morning. Good morning, Heath. How are you? I'm doing great. And yourself? Good, 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 sir. You about ready to go? Yes, I'm uh, plugged in and ready. You're plugged in, plugged in and ready. You got coffee. You get just you're mainlining it, right? Tapping it right into the vein, ready to go this early morning. <laughs> yep, good okay. to go. Okay, well, it's just me, you, and sixty of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube right now. We're in the commercial break. We're about to rejoin here in about two and a half minutes. And we'll get things kicked off right at the top of the hour when we come back uh, with you and uh, be ready to discuss all the issues, okay? Perfect. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, hold the line there for me. Heath Smith is our guest. We're ready to uh, ready to talk with him about uh, a variety of topics, and uh, we'll see what we'll see what he has to say uh, about uh, all the different. Uh, all the different issues that uh, are hot and running uh, around the state of Alaska. Folks, if you haven't yet, please like and share this video. Please like and follow the show page uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can also subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Do all the do all the YouTube things out there for me, if you would. It would be uh, it'd be great. We're trying to reach a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Uh, we're currently at three hundred and twenty-one. So we got a ways to go. We got a ways to go. I got 3,500 followers on Facebook, and I can't get 1,000 of them over onto YouTube to click the little subscribe button. We'll do it. We'll work it. We'll get it. Come on over. Join us over there. It'll be a, it'll be a fun time. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be talking uh, here in just a minute with Heath Smith, um, and we'll see what, uh, uh, see what has to say. Um, <clears throat> IV coffee, I like that," said Sandy. "Hey, sometimes you got to mainline that stuff. Sometimes you just got to pop a vein and just put it right in there to get you woken up. That's what has to happen, Sandy. I'm 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 with you on that. Kevin says binding caucus is a byproduct of lazy leadership. Couldn't agree more. Hunky said, "I think the PFD should stay in statute level, not constitution. Constitution is about unchanging principles. Statute is easier to change, and the PFD is something that needs to be adjusted often. Except you're wrong, Hunky, because the PFD hasn't need to change in 40 years. It was only the government, it was only the the governor and the legislature that decided that they needed to take that money and use it for something else. That's what changed. That's what changed." Um, it had nothing to do with uh, whether or not the statute or the formula was wrong. It had everything to do with the fact 
that uh, the the government and the legislators wanted more money. So it should be something that's unchanging. That's what should happen. All right, we got to go. Here we go. Jumping back into it. Hour two of the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com, where you'll find the audio-only stream, the podcast, all the social media links, all the frequencies that we're on, and of course, across the state of Alaska, on those frequencies on your favorite radio station and FM translator. Welcome to the Michael Duke Show. Uh, it is our Thursday edition of the show, and we are continuing right now. We're kind of down in the peninsula talking with uh, some potential legislators down there. We just finished up with Ben Vincent, who's running for State House for District 5, which is Kodiak, Cordova, a little bit of Seward, that kind of area. And now we are getting to the larger stake, which is the Senate seat. Uh, we're about to talk with GOP candidate for Senate in District C, Heath Smith. District C covers the whole lower peninsula, Kodiak, and uh, the southern part, Homer area, uh, currently being held by Gary Stevens. Heath Smith, uh, though, joins us right now to discuss that and uh, his candidacy, and we welcome him to the program. Good morning, sir. How are you? Excellent. It's great to be with you, Michael. Thank you for coming on board and joining us uh, here this morning. Um, Heath, uh, for those of you that don't know you, I know that you're, you know, you're from Homer. Uh, you're down there. You got your family and everybody else. Give us a little bit of history of, of you know, who you are, where you are, where you came from, and uh, then we'll jump into some of the issues. Okay. You bet. Yeah. Well, you know, my mother's folks moved to Alaska in the late '40s, and my father's parents came up in uh, in the '50s prior to statehood. So, you know, we've got some pretty deep roots here, and. Um, you know, there's something been about Alaska for me that that uh, that I truly love. I mean, growing up here, I couldn't wait to get out, but it didn't, it didn't take me long to decide that I had to come back, and uh, and I've never looked back since then. So I, uh, you know, I have a I have a tremendous amount of uh, how would you say it appreciation for uh, what it takes to make it here in the state. Right. Um, you know, I've worked multiple jobs over the years to to support my family. And fortunately, you know, in, in the 25 I've been with UPS, that's, uh, that's been kind of a, a grounding, um, job that's allowed me to kind of be home every night and, uh, my wife to be able to stay home for many of those years with the small kids. And so I've been appreciative of having, you know, good work. Right. 
which is not always the case for everybody. Right. No, it's tough. And that's definitely a job that I think would put you in touch with the people. You know what I mean? You're out there doing it day in and day out, right? Absolutely. So, and that's one of the things, I mean, it, it, it dawned on me one day, I was like, man, you know, if, if I've been able to deliver to these doors consistently and dependably for this long, maybe I can deliver in Juno for all these people too. And, um, and that's really <laughs> what I intend to do. We'll just call him our little brown Santa. That's what he is. He's here to here here to help us out and get things done. Um, Heath, you've got, you've got some uh, history there. You're not jumping into this raw. You have been serving uh, on the Homer City Council in the past. Is that right? Yeah, I I was elected to two terms there, so had six years on the municipal level, and that's really kind of how I got started. I, um, you know, I was I had been kind of a passive observer of politics. Because in college, I got a degree in, in a field in political science, so it's always been something that has interested me. But, um, you know, I really what kind of pushed me over the edge, and I know you like to ask this, is that, you know, Homer had been going through this process to build a public safety campus that was going to, um, you know, look at like over a $30 million price tag. And I was like, well, that sounds a little steep for a little town like Homer. And then I started going back and and reading the minutes of this uh, little committee's um, work, and it dawned on me that if somebody didn't kind of get in the middle of that, then we would be looking at a $30 million price tag that just was unreasonable. Right. And so I just, you know, I went from there to the computer, filled out my uh, filing form, went down to City Hall, and, and the insanity began. Right, exactly. So that was your that was your aha moment, when you looked at the fact that they wanted to build a $30 million police station, and you were like, well, wait a second, <laughs> for a community this size, that doesn't make any sense. Um, well, I mean, their their hope in the beginning was a, was a police and fire station. And ultimately, right. we built a police station for $7.5 million, right. which we only had to bond for five. And so that, right. to me, was a great success. Well, and and look, we all we all want public safety and infrastructure, but it has to. It also has to make uh, fiscal and financial sense to be able to do that. Um, I mean, we, I've seen a lot of. I served on the Fairbanks North Star Borough Assembly, and I saw a lot of wish lists go out there for a lot of different things. And it's easy to say, well, it's only thirty million, and it's somebody else's money, no big deal. Um, but when you right. realize that it's the constituents that are bonding and paying for it and putting their property up on the on the docket for it. Um, it starts to make a lot more sense. So I, I mean, I applaud you for that. Um, what was the what was the impetus to jump from, you know, being a former city council person to all of a sudden? I guess I'm going to go to the big show. You know, the state. What was the what was the impetus to to make that move? Well, ultimately, I mean, you know, each municipality and in, in community are going to have their priorities, and um, and we have to work through the legislature in order to successfully kind of. Uh, partner in achieving some of those. And, um, you know, when it came down to the police station, the state didn't have any money. I mean, we're a regional jail down there and yet the state couldn't pony up, um, you know, a red cent for that. And, uh, you know, that, that didn't make me very happy, but on the other hand, uh, I think that my interactions with our current Senator led me to believe that we could not depend on him to deliver for the district. And, um, and I just feel like that is a failure in respect to what we owe our constituents. So, um, 
you know, our priorities continue to be the same in Homer um, as they have been for some time. And I think that we need people um, in the legislature that are going to be willing to kind of be there on our behalf and yeah. help us deliver on that. Well, you kind of bring up an interesting point now for, uh, you know, Homer is kind of my adopted hometown. Uh, I love, uh, you know, I love the place. I, I, I take a special interest in what's going on down there. And I have a lot of friends down there now that I've developed over the last few years. And one of the things that I constantly hear from people down there is that um, their representative in the Senate has been, I mean, they really haven't seen him. in, in a few, Like they'll see him during election season, and then that'll be the last that they see of him for the rest of the time. And uh, and that's and they're a little you know they're a little butthurt about that. Um, is that uh, been your experience? Is this one of the reasons why you're running to actually represent the people in the area? Or uh, give me your thoughts. Well, yes, and and to be quite clear, I mean this is not an indictment of Gary himself. He's a super nice person, um, but ultimately this this isn't um, a competition of who's the nicest guy. It's it's about who's going to be willing to do the work. I mean, I was I've been on the road now for three weeks straight. I was in Cordova two weeks ago for a, the better part of a week, and then I was in Kodiak last week, and I'm in Seward as we speak right now, and I've been knocking doors, and um, and the reaction of the people are like, wow, you got my vote. You're actually at my door. He's the first person that's come to my door. And, um, and you know, for all the good things that have happened over the course of the last 22 years, there are things that haven't happened. And I think um, that we need to be able to answer those questions and resolve those concerns. And, um, and I don't see a pattern of behavior that is currently happening um, with our current senator that is leading the body to get that done. And it's time, it's time to get results. Let's talk about some of your priorities as a state senator. If you were, you know, if you were Senator Heath Smith today, what would be the priorities that you would be looking at going into this uh, next session? What would you be, what would you be focusing on? Well, I mean, primarily, I think that we have to resolve the permanent fund um, dividend issue because that seems to be the tripping block that consumes far too much attention every single year. Right. If we can resolve that component, then everything else that we can focus on is going to be meaningful. Um, and I, it just frustrates me. And this really comes down to the same thing that got me into city politics is that I have a frustration level that we've been unable to address this in a way that can um, really uh, engender trust in the process and in the people that are there to carry it out. And um, so I'm just ready to go to work. And I know that it's going to take a team to do it. Uh, this is not anything that any single senator or House of Representative can, um, can achieve on their own. Um, we're going to have to have the political will. So there's going to be some team building there and uh, the ability to kind of collaborate on what we envision the future of Alaska to look like. And part of my frustration is that the more studying I've done, I mean, you go back to, um, and, and this would be right in your alley, is, uh, you know, back in 1980, they had, they had this, um, this awareness project for this, the state spending policy. Right. And, uh, and it was put on by Common Sense of, of Alaska. But it, the title of it was The Challenge of Plenty. And to me, kind of, while 
all the all the things that we're discussing today were discussed in 1980 when we started experiencing those big budget surpluses. It's like, okay, what is the challenge that plenty, this plenty of money, really offers and and presents to us? And um, and here we are, uh, 42 years later, um, in that slow butter churn, having gone really nowhere. Right. And I mean, one of the primary one of the primary concerns was that, okay, we have all this money. Will we be able to curb the growth of government knowing <laughs> that these revenues are going to decline over time? Right. And I mean, I, I think clearly it's, it's proven out that, uh, you know, we built a government that was not sustainable on the economy that we have. And so it's problematic that we don't have a private sector that is robust enough. Um, right to support a stable government. Well, it was like it was almost that was almost a blueprint. It wasn't a warning. It ended up being a blueprint for what not to do, but they actually followed it. I mean, when we received right. that first royalty payment, the state budget was $164 million. That was the entire state budget. Uh, and if you extrapolate for inflation and everything else, our current state budget, if we're basing it on the same thing, should be around $2.5 billion. Instead, we're spending six billion dollars on state government <laughs> and at some point you got to yeah. go something i mean something got way out of control there something really something really fell apart and and i agree with you i think the pfd is the single item that is sucking up all of the oxygen in the room uh the current legislature is showing a complete and utter disdain for the law hashtag follow the damn law um and if uh, if they decide that they don't want to follow it then they should at least have the intestinal fortitude to change it what do you say oh absolutely i mean look this is the single most publicly watched piece of legislation that is on the books and so for um our lawmakers to publicly ignore it um in in, in a sense um, it doesn't look good. And I think over time it erodes trust in um, what they're doing. So right. I really think that, you know, if if it's broken, if it is broken, then it should be fixed so that our lawmakers are following. The law. Well, they've created their own conundrum here. I mean, they have intentionally broken when they passed SB 26 to make the POMV formula. They intentionally put two statutes at odds with each other. Um, and if you look at them and realize that, well, one statute accounts for the very the vagaries of the market um, and and deals with everything. That's the statutory formula. The other one doesn't. It creates a basically an ever, uh, a, you know, a, a quasi endless supply of money for government growth. That's the POMV. You realize that this was almost intentional. They put it at odds so that it would become the crisis and focal point uh, for moving forward. Which leads me to my final question for this segment, which is, uh, you know, SB twenty six, the POMV. Formula. If that statute had was rolled back and repealed, then there would be only one statute to follow, and that would be the statutory PFD formula, which again accounts for the markets going up and down, the bulls and the bears and everything else. It's worked for 40 years. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think SB 26 is one of the prime culprits of causing this confusion. Would you support a repeal of it? Well, yes. Uh, and partly because I don't think that the 5% POMV is something that's even sustainable under its current, um, under its current, uh, construction. So I, you know, again, I, what I'll support is doing what makes the most sense for sustainable Alaska over time. 
And I know that the sausage making that is that that comes through that is going to be um, is it's going to be a robust discussion. But the reality of it is is that we've gone nowhere, and um, and it's only gotten worse in some respects. And that has to be resolved. It, the people deserve better, is what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the people do deserve better. And again, taking this statute off the books would fix uh, go a long way towards fixing the issue that we're constantly. But although I feel that people, uh, it, there are people in the legislature, I think, including your own opponent, who don't necessarily want to have that issue fixed because it gives them the political cover to do what they want. Uh, and again, never letting a crisis go to waste, so to speak, being able to do those things. And I think that's uh, that's part and parcel of it. Um, <clears throat> Heath Smith, uh, our guest. Uh, candidate for Senate District C. You can find him at smithaksenate.com, smithaksenate.com. If you want to take a look at his bona fides and all the positions and everything, we're going to get into that here in just a moment as we continue with Heath Smith, the Michael Luke Show. It's common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. It's what we do every day right here from 6 to 8 a.m. Don't forget, you can always come out and join us on Facebook uh, or YouTube or Twitch if you want to join into the conversation in the chat. We've got about 60, 70 people hanging out with us there. Feel free to come on out and uh, be part of it with us. The Michael Duke Show continues with more Heath Smith right after these messages. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break with Heath Smith right now. We've got about four and a half minutes or so before we have to go back and rejoin the radio. Uh, We'll take any calls or questions here out of the uh, chat room here real quick to see if there's anything that Heath can answer. Um, There's probably going to be some things that I need to answer as well. Uh, Timothy says, we need as many impediments to government as possible. The more, the better. Government should be small and inoffensive. Heath, your take on that. Well, I think um, obviously that, as we spoke about with the uh, with the challenge of plenty, that that they expanded government to the point to where it's 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 an unruly beast on some levels, and um, I think that small government is the best rule when it comes to sir the the best way that the people can be served is through smaller government, and um, it really kind of puts the responsibility on on the people to make it happen. I agree. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, this, you know, again, going back to that, going back to that first big royalty check of almost a billion dollars and the state budget was $164 million. Hammond made comments about, you know, going through that money, you know, giving drunken sailors a bad name that they went through that money so fast. And that was actually the genesis of the PF, the permanent fund itself, and then the PFD later on was because he saw, uh, again, the uh, the the curse. What what was it called? The curse of the plenty, or the or the dilemma of the plenty? Um, that you were challenge t- of plenty. The challenge of plenty. I mean, that's exactly what it was. Uh, I mean, it was the challenge of plenty. We had all this money, and it was just way too tempting for people who got into the legislature. I'm sure with the best of intentions, you know. But you get a bunch of do-gooders in there with a with basically a blank check, and they created something that 
can no longer be sustained. And see, now that's the problem with government is that it creates dependencies uh, and then justifies what it's doing in the future because of those dependencies. Oh, we created this program. Now people are dependent on it. We can't possibly cut it. Um, and, and I think that's a problem. Government trying to be too many things to too many people. Well, and I share that. I mean, I've said this from the city council table. I, we cannot be all things to all people. Right. There is an endless list of good things that can be done for people. But the question is whether um, there are things that, that government needs to be involved in. And, um, right. and there's a cost. There's a cost. There's even a social cost to everything that the, uh, that the government does. And, um, and I think we have to empower, not enable and and I think that that is the difference between those types of programs that right. are important. Don't well, it's things that we can do versus are they things that we should do? Right? I mean, what is the right. state mandated to do? They're, you know, public safety, education, infrastructure. Okay, if it could fall under any of those things, then that's a good idea. But anything beyond that. Uh, you know, under the general welfare clause or whatever. I mean, it, it just becomes a point to where we are trying to do too many things and should allow people to basically solve their own problem instead of having Uncle Sugar Daddy step in all the time. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and the case, you know, when, when the legislature was entertaining um, enacting uh, an income tax, I was in Juneau on behalf of the city. And I went into our representative's office. I said, look, I mean, if, if you want, if you want to tell the people that you need them to take money out of their pocket to help run the services of the state, then there needs to be some assurance that you're going to not spend it in a way that's going to make them unhappy. Right. And because you've had all this house money that you've worked with, um, from, from the oil industry and, here we are in this, in this meltdown. And so what have you done that makes me want to trust you with my money out of my pocket? Right. And, um, based on your track record of what you've done with everybody else's money. Well, right. What makes me feel good about taking money out of my bank and giving it to the, to the state. And, and, and that legislator looked at me and says, well, Heath, I don't know what that looks like. I, I need you to tell me what that looks like. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. well, then uh, maybe it's time to get somebody else in there. Because yeah. I just don't. Uh, and that was that was several years ago, and that was in the House of Representatives. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely frustrating. Heath, hold the line. We're going to jump back into it here. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like and share the show. Like and follow. Subscribe. Ring the bell. Let's uh, Let's do it. All right, we're continuing now with Heath Smith, who is a GOP candidate for state Senate in District C, the new District C, down on the Kodiak and the Lower Peninsula. Um, You could find him at smithaksenate.com. That's the website, smithaksenate.com. 
We continue now uh, on some of the hot-button issues. We've kind of covered the PFD. I guess to finalize that, Heath, I uh, based on what you've said and your our discussion here, I would assume that you would be in favor of uh, paying the statutory PFD, first of all, and then enshrining it in the Constitution for protection. Would that be – would both of those be good things for you? Well, I think um, the Constitution – to constitutionalize it is going to have to be done. I mean, I, I, I you know, in looking at the uh, fiscal policy working group's conclusions, I think that it's the only way to ensure that um, the legislature does not continue to revisit it and tinker with it. So I think that that is probably going to be a necessity. Um, I am for paying the statutory dividend um, because it's in statute. <laughs> So if it's, it needs to change, then we then we need to change it. But I right. cannot. I as a legislator, I want to follow the law. I don't want to evade it. I don't want to, you know, operate behind a curtain thinking that we're going to get cute with it. Um, I think that you know it's it's our mandate to you know make law and then follow law. Which leads us over to the questions of budgets, and I want to get to your different issues and positions, but let's go over the budget first. I mean, so state government, uh, I've laid out a lot of things here uh, with you here in the last uh, 20 minutes or so, but so, you know, give me your thoughts on the state budget. Is it, uh, is it too big? Is it too small? Is it just right? What, 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 what is Heath Smith's position on the current budget? And, uh, and, and let's start there. Well, I think part of the reason that the budget is as big as it is this year is because of the capital aspect of it, right? The capital sure. project. Sure. And, you know, over the course of the last six years, there hasn't been much. Um, so it's been slim pickings. So I understand that they were trying to kind of do a corrective course. Um, right. But even subtracting the billion plus dollars out of the capital budget, we're still sitting at over $5 billion in state spending oh, right. well, on everything well, else. So, I mean, what, what, what's your take? Well, it's too big. I mean, obviously. I mean, this goes right back to what we were talking about, the challenge of plenty, and what we started in in 1980 and where we are today is that we have built government beyond the means of the public in any way to support. And so if we're going to depend on oil revenues and the permanent fund, what well, what they've effectively done is ignored the private sector over over the course of time. Right. So there's nothing in place. There's not, you know, the only thing they have in place right now is to say, oh, well, we just need to collect some, some income tax. Um, they, they've, they've largely ignored helping develop the private sector um, in a way that can have beneficial effects overall um, on helping have a, a stable government over time. So I think that the budget is, is clearly too big. It's not something that's sustainable. And, um, and it's, and that is clear. Right. I, I don't think anyone. Have you talked to anyone that said that the budget wasn't too big? Oh, I've talked to a few people that said I think it's okay. Uh, of course, yeah. when you drill down into specifics, they don't have any real. I mean, when you start talking about cost per capita and cost per student right. and some of those things, they go what? Because <laughs> they just they just don't know. You know, they're they're fat, dumb, and happy on what the state has been doing, and since it doesn't affect them directly, it doesn't come out of their pocketbook. They're not issued a tax bill every year to see what the actual cost of the government is. Then they 
are disconnected. I mean, that's one of the problems. I'm not a fan of taxes, but one thing that would be sure is that if everybody was issued a tax bill for the cost of the state every year, there would be a revolution in this state because all of a sudden they would realize, well, I mean, my, my thought experiment was always, you know what they should do is they should just pass all the oil revenue proceeds instead of putting it into the state budget or putting it into the permanent fund. They should just give everybody a check and split it up equally, and everybody would get a check for ten or fifteen or $20,000 that year, and then you issue a tax bill for fifteen or 16000 bucks for every person, and people would – there would be a riot because they'd be like, what do you mean it costs – I don't use $15,000 a year in services – well, that's right. just how government works. And and I think if they understood that, there would be a change. Well, I agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, in essence, that's what the PFD is, right? I mean, it, it there is some connectivity that is created through the PFD and government. And this is why the last seven years has been as tough as it is, because people are actually paying attention because they've been toying with the PFD. Right. Because... What they've taken out of the PFD is effectively a flat tax. Right. Um, so that is what it is. And so people recognize that and uh, they're not real happy with the, with the way the process played out. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. Obviously, some of the biggest aspects of this are covered by some of your positions. I mean, education is the second largest item in our budget right now, yet we continually score at the bottom of the barrel, like 48th, 49th, 50th, in all the scholastic achievement and aptitudes, we've got a, a 75, 76% graduation rate, meaning one in four students just flunk out. Um, and yet we spend, you know, 15, 16, $17,000 per student, depending on, on average, depending on where you're going. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's a hot mess. Uh, is more money the issue there? Or is this, should we be looking at, uh, you know, should we be completely refiguring our education budget? Well, money clearly is not solving the problem. Um, you know, I have good friends that are, that have been educators and, um, you know, they, they retired with really good benefits and um, pensions. And they think that, you know, we're not compensating our teachers well enough that, you know, that program has kind of waned and, and our failure is a byproduct of that. I'm not sure that that's the case. Um, I think that our teachers should be fairly compensated and, um, and and if we're falling behind in that respect, then that should be something that's revisited. But, Ultimately, just throwing more money into it is not going to be the saving grace here. Right. Um, institutionally, we have to see what the barriers to success have been and why. And, uh, and you know, the kids, I've got six kids. I mean, I've put all of them through, you know, they're, they've all and they're still going through pu- the public school system. And, um, and while I'm not completely happy with some of the results that have, that have come from that, uh, it's a big thing to tackle. I mean, they're they're getting ready to build a thirteen million dollar school at uh, Catch Silo, which is the end of end of East End Road, and then down the switch back and uh, you know out into the flats um, for a, a Russian village out there. And, and they deserve a school, and they've had one, but they're going to build a thirteen million dollar facility for forty two kids. And um, and, you know, the, the amount of money that adds to the books for the borough and ultimately is shared by the state um, is going to be uh, something that is monumentally more than it costs to, to maintain the building and operate it that right. sits there today. Right. And so, you know, 
you know, for every dollar we spend, it takes $18 over the course of time, um, to, to maintain whatever we, we, we spend that money on. Right. Well, and it, so, and to multiply that out, yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous amount of money. Right. Well, and we talk about efficiencies. I mean, we've got 50-plus different school districts in the state, 53 or 54 different school districts, yep. all with duplicative uh, structures in the administration and the overhead. We've looked at what's happened with administrative size versus student size over the last 25 years, and we've seen that it has exploded. You know, student increased by 1.5 percent, excuse me, 1.5 times, and yet administrative is tripled, you know, and things like that. I mean, could we be finding efficiencies in in, uh, you know, pooling things, in consolidating school districts, in opening up the base student allocation formula instead of having it automatically increase, instead having discussions on it every year. I mean, could those things be done? Well, absolutely. I mean, we we need to explore all avenues at this point um, because you know when you look at at, at what the education component of our um, of our budget takes up and then the health side i mean we have to look at finding the efficiencies that are there to be found right. and if we're not if we're not interested in looking then we're never going to find it and um and i know that there's going to be some resistance because you're talking about people losing jobs and so there's going to be some pushback right from these school districts and the unions um in order to preserve uh, <laughs> you know preserve a, a construct that has ultimately failed us uh, and I couldn't agree more with that. Heath Smith is our guest. Um, we are coming up on the break. I'm going to ask you if you want to hold on here through the next break and because I, I, I do want to get to these positions uh, and talk about a few more things before I let you go. So if you're willing to stick with me for just a couple more minutes, we'll uh, we'll do that real quick, Heath. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So Heath Smith is our guest, uh, GOP candidate for state Senate in District C. You could find him on the web at smithaksenate.com. We're going to uh, take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the issues that he has got positions on uh, from his website. And we'll talk about uh, kind of a summation. We may touch on the Charter of Changes, and then we'll finish up. Heath Smith, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now, uh, getting ready to uh, come back for one final segment here with Heath Smith. Um, you know, There's a lot of stuff to unpack here, Heath. This is one of the reasons why I do long form instead of just little 10-minute interviews, because I feel like we really need to get down into the weeds on some of this stuff. And uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of the 10-minute soundbite, uh, because I want to ask some of the deeper questions and, and draw out more than uh, what we're seeing in a 148-character tweet or whatever. Um, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you sounding off on on some of these things. Let me go back to the chat room here and see what some of the folks are saying here. Um, <clears throat> pay the full PFD, then issue a tax bill requiring one half to be returned to the state within thirty days. That will fix the problem quickly," said Brian. I mean, that was exactly my point, uh, right, Heath? Of uh, you know, pay everybody the money directly and then issue them a issue them a tax bill, and it would be. It would be eye-opening uh, what would happen in this state. 
Oh, I, th- I think it would get everybody's attention very quickly. Yeah. Um, let's see. The problem is the curriculum topics choices. Math, read by Mathematical Mindsets by Joe Boiler. Students learn math differently. You must teach math the way individual students understand it. I mean, this is, to me, one of the major problems with public brick-and-mortar schools is that it's a cookie-cutter assembly line kind of thing. Not all students learn. I mean, I have five children. We homeschooled them all, and each child had a different learning style. We had to basically, we had to create custom curriculums for each student, each one of my kids, because each one learned a little differently. One of them could do everything on his own. He could get his schoolwork done in two or three hours a day. He was he was motivated to do it. And others were foot draggers. They needed constant supervision. They needed constant help and explanation. They had to use completely different styles of learning for mathematics or other things. Some were visual learners. Some were auditory learners. And it, it, each thing, I mean, that's the problem with a cookie cutter type system. One size does not fit all in the education system. Well, and that's why parents really need to have a choice on on where their kids get their education. And um, and I really support, you know, parent choice when it comes to that. That's definitely something we like to see. Are you familiar with the backpack education system, the backpack education concept? Well, not every component of it, but the concept of it, yes. Yeah. I think that that is ultimately kind of where we're going to be going, uh, not just as a state, but as of a nation. I mean, one of the silver linings of COVID was that people discovered that, A, their school systems were not the end-all, be-all of the world, and B, they discovered that homeschooling and educating your own children was not as difficult as they were led to believe, either by the media or the education system or their friends and family or whatever. They discovered that it was a lot easier, especially with technology, than it was in the past. And I think this gives them a good opportunity. It gives us a good opportunity here to break the mold. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, finding excellent teachers and then being that being able to have that teacher teach in classrooms through technology um, with the assistance of aides in 20 communities. Um, I mean, I think that there's there's some great possibilities that we can um, that we can take advantage of in improving the system, and outcomes. Heath Smith is our guest, GOP state uh, candidate for Senate District C. Let me see uh, what I can come back with here. $2.8 million is a cost for a $14 million school just to redesign the wheel and build a new blueprint. Somebody else actually did the math for what Heath had talked about earlier. $13 million. He's talking about that new new, uh, school down at the end of East End Road. $13 million divided by 42 students is $309,000 per student just for the building. That's just for the construction. That has nothing to do with the upkeep, the maintenance, the labor. What's the argument, Heath, for the other building? Is the other building just too old, or what's the problem? Well, it was a lease situation, so the community had a building that they leased to the borough, um, but the building just fell apart. And so, I mean, to me, this comes down to the lease agreement and that there should have been a built-in component that required maintenance over time so that it would could be maintained, um, you know, for a, a reasonable lifetime that a building should be. Um, and, you know, we had people come in and testify and said, you know, we have some of the best outcomes coming from this school and they deserve a new building. And I was like, well, but if we're getting the best outcomes out of that situation, 
then what's to say that a new building at this additional cost is going to maintain or create the same outcomes? Right. So right. I think that the idea that we need more to do better is just a broken concept. Right. Um, I think that we just need the right people dedicated to a process that has worked in the past. Uh, but somehow has gotten off the rails. Well, and I think as a municipal, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a council member, you probably saw the same thing that I did, which is where they build these new buildings and in nowhere, no place would they have a plan baked in or a fiscal note baked in for the long-term maintenance and upkeep of those buildings. And that always drove me crazy because you got to understand, if you haven't been upkeeping the previous buildings, what's to say you're going to upkeep that we're going to get back into this because this this is this is a hot button for me. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. Okay, we're going to sidebar for just a second because we just talked about something right before we came back from the break uh, that it just is what's a hot button for me. It's something that I saw when I served on the assembly up in the interior. I'm sure it's probably something that Heath saw when he was on the council in Homer. Uh, we were just talking about this new school district or this new school building, $13 million. They were leasing a previous building, but they didn't maintain the building. Therefore, it fell apart. And one of the things that always irritates me, especially when we keep hearing about, well, we need to build new this, we need to build new that, we've got the Money, we should do this, blah, 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 blah. One of the things that we never saw, uh, and I had to fight for almost every time in the past, Heath, was one, a plan to maintain and upkeep those buildings, and two, a fiscal note on what the ultimate long term cost was going to be. You mentioned the one and $13, or excuse me, one and $18 cost in the long run. But I mean, it's one of the fundamental flaws in government is that we keep not looking at the long-term cost of things. Oh, it only costs $13 million to build. What's the ultimate outcome 20 years down the road? What's it going to cost to maintain? And if you haven't been maintaining the building that you're using right now, where are the guarantees that you will maintain what you have in the future? Absolutely. And this is, and this is what I asked our assemblyman when he came in and said, well, because that school they brought to a ballot were a bond and it failed at $15 million. Right. And that was several years ago. Now they've come back and said, okay, we're not asking the people. We got 10 million from the state. The borough's going to put up 3 million and we don't even have to ask anybody. And so in the hallway, I, I went up to the assembly member. I said, okay, now you've, now you've really, you've gone around the people here, but what are the additional costs now to run a facility like that? And what are the implications on the budget? And he just looked at me with glazed over eyes. Had no idea. And, um, no and idea. So yeah. there's all these there's all these associated costs that come with these types of projects that people just happily ignore because they look at the free money aspect and um, and the overall good that they're convinced it will do. But there's no component built in to take care of what you said, and that's the the maintenance over time. Right. And the cost of operating. Well, and there's a lot of pressures going on. There's a huge lobby for the construction industry to always build new schools and do things like that. And yes, many times it's cheaper to build new than it is to try and retrofit or fix. But the problem yeah. is, is that the track record has shown that they will not update or maintain. Uh, it's the deferred maintenance hellhole where everything just kind of goes into a circle and nobody bothers to fix anything. It, it's just throwing good money after bad at that point. Anyway, I, I don't want to take up the whole time with that. I, I apologize 
apologize. It's a personal it's a personal peeve of mine. Um, but let's talk about some of uh, the issues that uh, you know are unique to your district. Um, obviously, uh, fisheries, the Alaska Marine Highway, these are big things for your areas. Give us your thoughts on those two topics, and we'll move along. Well, again, I mean, um, you know, the politicization of our fisheries and even the ferries is something that that really are hindrances to, you know, those being run right. So I I really feel like the Board of Fish and the the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council, we have to make sure that, that people are getting on there that are going to base their decisions on good science and will allow um that to dictate kind of the management style rather than any special interests and as far as the ferry goes um you know coastal alaska has a highway system and it happens to be run by ferries and i understand that the cost is is extreme um but i mean this is how they stay connected and it's how they get their goods at a reasonable price how they move things and I think that over time, that um, due to some cuts and some pressures, that um, we've allowed it to kind of denigrate. And and so, you know, people, I think they deserve. And I've been to Cordova and Seward, and uh, Seward doesn't get ferry service right now, but Kodiak, Soldovia, which is part of the district, um, they just want something that's dependable and and reasonably run. And I think that they don't need it three times a week, two times a week. I mean, Soldovia is like, look, if, if we just get this once a week, at least we know that we can get our vehicles, we can get our goods, we can get right. these things here. Right. Um, you look at the road system. I mean, our our road system is, is highly subsidized. And, sure. Um, and so, you know, you look at subsidies in relationship to that, but then you start to parse it out over the population that use one versus the other. And yeah, it, it pops your eyes a little bit, but I think, I think that we owe connectivity to our, to, you know, the people of Alaska. And, um, and so I'm a staunch supporter of the ferry system. And if we can find ways to do it better than we should, but I think we need to do better at marketing it. Um, you know, when they peeled out the, the services side on board, I think that that was a detriment to it. Um, and I, so I just like to see us revisit how we can market it better. And, um, and it, I think that through the tourist season, it would be highly more, it would be more utilized through that. Um, if we, if we do a better job at, at managing it. Well, I mean, I think that there, I think the mismanagement, I think has been a big issue. Uh, I think you've got uh, collective bargaining that's played a huge role in it. The cost, the personnel costs on those things are, you know, are astronomical. The fact that it has to be subsidized is such a high rate. Um, and, uh, and, you know, maybe some of that should be spread out to the communities that are using it more. I mean, I don't, I don't see a subsidy for people who are having stuff flown out to Bethel or Fort Yukon or Anaktuvik. I don't see a subsidy going out to those people to fly things in or freight in or do that kind of stuff or barging into their communities. Uh, I'm not saying that we should eliminate the highway system, the marine highway system. I think that it should right. just the, – the burden should be shared a little bit more. And I agree with you. I think if you've got a community that's fine with once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, you know, two times a week, whatever makes sense, but we should not be running boats with eight passengers on it that burns 300 gallons of fuel an hour out there if that's all it is. We need to do 
a little more consolidation. We need to find ways. And again, not eliminating it, but I mean, hey, look, if there was a toll on the Glen Highway and I had to go in every day and pay three bucks a day for a toll on the Glen Highway, I would do it because right. that's the cost of doing it. You know what I mean? I have to, I, if I have to be there, I have to be there. So I think there should be a little bit more equitable sharing in that. And it shouldn't be a hole in the water that you keep throwing money into. Um, unfortunately, uh, but it is a hot button issue for sure. Absolutely a hot button issue. Um, I know we've talked a bit about education as well. Uh, public safety and seniors are two of the other op- uh, topics that you uh, have on your site. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, I think clearly our, our senior population is, um, is especially growing on the Southern Peninsula and it's projected to grow even more over time. It's, it's a great place and destination for people to go to retire and, um, so housing is a huge issue. And I mean, housing is an issue, period, within the district, if not the state. And um, I would love to see some kind of housing initiative um, in the state because, I mean, housing is a fundamental, basic um, necessity in life. And these seniors, I mean, they deserve to have an ability to kind of move and graduate through um, what what should be available to them. You're talking about like, uh, you're talking about like pioneer home kind of systems or things like that. Right. So assisted, you know, assisted living, independent living, those types of things that, um, that need to be available as we age. Um, so I think that, you know, in talking to Nona Safra, she's, she serves on a, on a commission in the state. And she, uh, I think between, you know, even, even veteran housing, uh, housing is an issue. I mean, I've got I've got six kids. Uh, they're all working this summer. Um, a couple of my adult kids have full time jobs, but you know where they're living? They're living at home, and it's because they can't afford right. to get out there right and and try and find a place. I mean, uh, the prices of housing, and then couple that with the idea that people can use their houses as these Airbnbs. They're not available for rent for the summers, and I. So it's created this crisis that really needs to be addressed um, on some level so that people can have a fundamental basic need met. And um, so I, I feel like that's one of the components that needs to be addressed. Public safety quickly here, public safety. Well, I mean, we've seen this dialed back. And I, I mean, you know, obviously we can we can go back to SB 91 and that was an absolute disaster. Um, but. You know, when it comes to having enough people on the road system in order to uh, meet the needs of keeping the law, uh, I think we need to properly make sure that we have enough people in place to do that. Um, You know, when when you're in rural Alaska and you make a phone call and the closest trooper is uh, 300 miles away, it's uh, it makes you stop and wonder on, on what we're doing. Um, so the GVSOs are important, and obviously that program has to be uh, structured in a way that really serves the needs of those communities, um, because there's been some holes in the program in the past. Um, but so I'm just I, I want to make sure that we have a robust enough um, public safety sector that uh, provides for the needs of our communities. 
Um, <clears throat> we uh, talked a little bit, and one of the most prime, uh, I have something called the Charter of Changes, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's four changes that I think need to be made in the state to, to you know, give us a future here in the state of Alaska. Uh, I'm going to dive down into one of them just because we're short on time here. Uh, but changing the rules is an important part, and part of that is the Binding Caucus. Are you familiar with that concept? I am, yep. And what what's your position on the Binding Caucus? Are you in favor? Or are you against? Would you join a Binding Caucus? Would you not join? What's your take? Well, I think anything that comes to the floor or through committee should be um, on the merits of what it is. It should not be through a co- coercive process. And um, so I, I, I don't see the Binding Caucus as healthy for any process when it comes to the best interest of the people. So it's not something you would participate in? It's not something I support. Um, all right, final thoughts here. I'm going to give you the floor, uh, your elevator pitch for why people should vote for Heath Smith for uh, state senate in District C. you got about a minute here. Well, our current senator's been there for almost 22 years. And if you look at the results of that, especially in the last seven, I don't know that we could agree on that being a very good uh, any any real good results out of that when it comes to the most pressing fiscal issues. And it's just time to drill down on those and get them done. And um, so it took a little courage for me to step up and run against an incumbent like that. And I'm asking people to have some courage to 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 enact some change And uh, because it's time for us to move forward. Right. Because it's a lot, Alaska's future is your future, and it's mine. And I care deeply enough about it that I'm willing to get in there and do the work and finally get some results. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. 22 years of a certain type of insanity. We don't need to uh, continue that. Heath Smith, uh, I uh, applaud you for jumping forward here, and uh, we'd love to have you back on the program here after the uh, primary, and we'll talk some more, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for coming on board and joining us. I appreciate it. Folks, we are out of time. The Michael Duke Show continues. Tomorrow, Firearms Friday. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. And Heath just hung up. I was going to give him another bite at the apple, but that's pretty much it. Um, You know, again... He and I may disagree on things like the the marine highway system, maybe not in, in total, but in part. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know, as we should look to government to fix a lot of the housing issues that are going on. I think if we let the, if we get the government out of it, the market would fix most of that stuff. Trust me, it, it would, uh, there would be it right there. But I think overall, a good choice, a good choice for something new in District C. I think it's something that we need. All right, friends. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you did, please like and share. Give it a like. Give it a share. Share it with your friends and family. If you're out on Facebook, like and follow the show page. If you're on YouTube, do the YouTube things of mashing the subscribe button and then ringing the bell to get notifications. We appreciate you coming on board and joining us. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Special thanks to our friends at Satellite West for sponsoring the program today. We'll be back with more tomorrow. Have a great day.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.